0: You are listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Well, hello, everyone. It's good to be back with you again. Uh, you're listening to another episode of Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm your host, Doug Thorpe. Today, I have a very special guest, uh, Ms. Madeline Weiss, and we are going to dive in and talk about her. Uh, yeah, Madeline, Welcome.
1: Thank you. I'm very happy to be here and appreciate you having me and hello to your audience.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Well, I always like to kind of start off with a backstory to help people understand your journey to uh, where you are today. Could you just kind of dive in and give us that background? So I
1: started my, well, there's a whole lot to my story. I'll start with the beginning of my work career. Um, actually when I was 15 years old my father passed away and I wanted to be helpful to my mother so I was beating the streets trying to get a job and no one would give me one I don't think I realized that in Pennsylvania at that time that possibly um, 15 and a half was under age but nobody told me that and it it actually lingered so when people say they don't want to go to work for me it's such a privilege and a pleasure uh, to be able to do good work Um, so that's that's a little quirky something about me when i finally did get my first job it was in a clinical chemistry laboratory i had trained to become a uh, medical laboratory technician. So I was after that in the USDA biological control lab and the uh, Drexel University um, cardiac catheter lab as a technician there. So I did those kinds of things but there was always a call to the people and so I have morphed over time by getting um, other kinds of clinical degrees and also an MBA and have kind of honed in on helping people to enjoy their work and their lives at the same time.
0: So. Now, as I recall, when we were kind of prepping for this part of your story, and maybe it's the why that we can ask, uh, you mentioned your dad passing away. And yeah. it, there was an element of that that kind of became a driver for you. What was that about? Well. If your
1: listeners know the uh, Madeline books, where uh, to the tiger in the zoo, Madeline just said, poo-poo, so did I, to my dad, too many times. So I was grounded a lot. And when he died, actually, I was he died of a stroke very suddenly. And at that time, I was grounded for who knows what, because it was always... Something. So I went around for quite a while thinking that my daddy died of me until one day at the cemetery, I broke down with my mother and said that, that I thought it was all my fault. And she said, no, honey, it wasn't you. It was work. So I feel very much that if I can save one little girl or boy's mommy or daddy or anybody at all, for that matter, from the kinds of uh, um, unrelenting stress that he suffered, Uh, I'm
0: in. Yeah. Let's let's talk a little more then, let's let's segue on over to the kind of client you strive to work for or work with. Uh, Tell us a little more about that.
1: Yeah, the work that I do largely, and I was taught that the, the kind of people you help says a lot about you. Um, so, no surprise. These are uh, people who pretty much have everything they need to have really great lives. Um, they just don't know that yet. Because there's this uh, tendency among us humans to look outward for what doesn't feel right inward. And they don't realize yet that if we rearrange the furniture a little bit on the inside, it makes a huge difference on the outside. I I remember um, treating a young woman a while ago. I was working with her when I was still a licensed clinical independent social workers. So we were still calling them patients then, and we were still calling it treatment then. And please ask me about that because I've morphed way over out of that now. But in any case, I remember she was complaining about the husband. And I said to her, what if we get you in your very best shape first, and then you can see how you feel about the husband. And that was that was decades ago, and they are still together, they have a beautiful life and a beautiful family, and all is all is well, because she learned a few things to watch out for about herself. It doesn't necessarily mean any of it's going away, but we can get in charge of it instead of it in charge of us,
0: so. Yeah. <clears throat> Well, I've often said the most difficult piece of real estate in the world to manage is the six inches between your ears. Uh, It's uh, many, many studies and writings have been done about managing that head space. And and I like what you said, rearrange the furniture a little bit. Um, (laughs) But that does have a deeper meaning, more about sort of changing your your thought pattern. you and I have also had a fascinating talk about uh, just that this this notion of working to get in a comfort zone. Uh, yeah, talk a little bit. Talked a little bit about that.
1: So we were talking about that Yale study that we both love, and um, the Yale study. What's so great about it is that it turns on its head this idea that you'll know something's right when it's comfortable. So I can't tell you how many people have not taken action, and let's talk about action too, but they haven't taken the action that, ne- that needed to be taken because they were waiting till they felt comfortable. So this study showed that um, or suggested that When the brain is in its comfort zone, the learning centers that you need for problem solving to come up with new ways of living and doing and being and feeling and all of that are shut off Mm -hmm. because the brain thinks, oh, everything's cool now. I don't need to do anything. And the brain doesn't want to waste any energy. So it just shuts down because you're comfortable. So this study was saying optimal learning and therefore I would say optimal Problem solving requires seventy percent in your discomfort zone, outside of your comfort zone. So I I got very excited about being able to put that in a number for people because people like the numbers, you know. So yeah, right,
0: right. Well, we we've also talked about <clears throat> the idea that. Um, Coaches and advisors often meet up with a client, and uh, as we say in the business, try to meet them right where they are. Yeah. Um, but you had an interesting angle to that. the The notion of uh, when you start out in an early coaching or advising or even counseling mm. relationship, define your problem. Let's talk about your problem. How are we going to fix that? So. Um, Uh, Tell us a little more about your thinking on that story. Yeah, I want to tell you about a moment
1: that I had last uh, Friday with someone. Um, So there's this, right? So the acronym actually breaks down into this five-step process that I noticed was common to all of my clients. And the one that we're talking about right now is this um, grounding in the belief that we have everything we need to have a really great life. And when people come to me, they don't really typically know that or believe that. So I hold that space, which is not where they are, but I ask their permission. I say, would you mind if I hold this space of let's call it hope and possibility for you until you can step into it, own it and take charge of it and run with it yourself. And there was this man the other day who said to me he was feeling so bad about himself he said something like, why would you even want to work with me? Like, what's in this for you? Kind of a thing. Right. And I told him a little bit about what we talked about here, about how how much it means to me, what a privilege and a pleasure it is to work, to be able to help him step out of this excruciating pain into this much better place that I know is possible for him. And he started to weep. And he said, congratulations, you made me cry. So, you know, apparently he doesn't do that very often. But he was so touched by somebody believing that, and I do, it doesn't have to be like that. And when I see people step out of that painful place into a much better life over and over and over again, it's easy for me to believe. And they don't know so i don't try to convince them and that's that's by the way where the action comes in when they take action and they have this huh that worked that felt good nobody died i was you know scared but it's fine so that's when they start to believe that things can be different and then they take another step and another step and another step and pretty soon things are different.
0: Right. So much at the root of coaching is to help people paint that picture of possibility, the next great step toward um, advancement or achievement or um, better living as, as, as you're talking here. And I like the phrase that that we've talked about before uh, um, offline here between the two of us. This, uh, You know, the brain scientists tell us that when neurons fire together, they wire together. And that is a statement about our thinking pattern. If we keep perpetually thinking the negative about our situation, that's going to become a hardwired way of thinking. So the challenge for folks like you and I who do have a passion for helping people is to shift that thinking before everything gets wired together in a, in a firm way, but try to get some better wiring. Right?
1: So, yeah. So a lot of times the question comes up or will be, well, what happens with the old wiring? I mean, once it's there, it's kind of there and we call it trauma sometimes. Trauma is that that kind of wiring, like PTSD. And I think different professionals among us might have different ideas about this. Mine is about the garden. So we plant a new garden, meaning build. I saw the connections on the television once. I was watching a YouTube that showed how how the um, electric the electrochemical transmission and how they actually got wired it was really like roots in a garden and i feel like if we try to like directly weaken them somehow we're doing what you just said which is actually inadvertently strengthening them because we're throwing attention on them so i like to think about well let's just let's just try new things Let's make new connections. Let's water that garden and not put the attention on that garden, but on the new garden and just let that one wither. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: It might not go away like completely forever, but it doesn't have as much of a hold on us. Right, right. Because if nothing else, we have the distraction of a much prettier garden. Yeah.
0: <clears throat> so true, so true. Well, it's time to uh, take a short break, and when we come back from the break, we're going to shift gears, and we are going to talk about your book. Uh, Madeline is a best-selling author, and we'll get into that just in a moment, right after our break. This program is sponsored by Headway Executive Coaching, your source for leadership development and team leading effectiveness. For more information, visit headwayexec.com. All right, everyone, we're back, and I am visiting with uh, Madeline Weiss. She is our guest today, and we have been talking about some great things in the realm of helping people with uh, coaching and advising. Madeline, you um, are a successful author. You want to show your book there? It's called Get It. Again? Right? Yeah, again.
1: I actually happen to have a crush on the cover Oh, yeah. I love those stars so Um, much.
0: (laughs) Good stuff. So you you alluded in our first half that the the word GREAT is really an acronym. So let's start. Let's break down those five elements real quick and then we'll come back and
1: begin. So this says five-step strategy for work and life. And, you know, I mentioned that I have a uh, um, medical technology background and a, and a uh, clinical social work background and a business administration background and I have education experience and all those things and I don't know if I didn't mention that I've also been studying um, ancient philosophy for over 20 years every week it's a real thing in my life um because the concepts are just so simple and pure and easy and really, really effective. So there's that. So I have this toolkit with all this stuff in it. And I, and then my clients are also different from each other, like gender, uh, ethnicity, occupation, SES, like you name it. They're just so different one from the other. And I said, what's really working here? You know, because they do better and they're all different and i'm using different things i'm pulling out this and pulling out that depending on what the process provides us um, what emerges over time and so when i asked that question i realized that no matter who they were and no matter which particular uh tool in my toolkit i happened to be using most or at that moment with that person there were these five steps that seem common to all. So that, I thought, well, I need to put that in a bottle. So that's my bottle.
0: Uh, the, and so what does the acronym stand for? The five. So the
1: G is for the grounding. Um, first, first part of the process would be grounding in the belief. Even if I say I'm going to hold it for you, there's more belief in that than there was before that, that somebody thinks it's possible, which we said was so touching to that man, even even if he couldn't see it, the fact that there was someone else who could see that and hold that for him, so that it's possible and that we have everything we need. The uh, premise, the first line of the book and the premise of the whole thing is, a great life depends on a great fit between who we are and the environments in which we work and live. So if it depends on who we are, then we need to know who we are, or at least we need to know that better than we sometimes do. So it's not who someone else always said we should be. It's not even who we necessarily always thought we should be, but some uh, deeper connection to our values and our interests and our wishes and our dreams and our fears and whatever that make up the me and uh so that's recognizing that is the are who we are and then once we have that under our belts a little better to find we go exploring so that's the e and there are all kinds of possibilities out there some of them people dreamed about and said nah i can't do that and others of them people honestly never even thought of uh, so we do that kind of exploring, but as I think i put a line under already, that's fun, but we can't stay there, because we're not fooling ourselves. I, I do have people who come up with an idea of what they're going to do someday, and the idea kind of defines them, And it sustains them for a while that they're going to set up a nonprofit for blah, blah, blah. So they feel like a better person than they did before they said that. But at some point when it's not happening, when there's no A for action, they're not fooling themselves and they don't feel so good about it. So there really needs to be some action. And we talked about the Goldilocks principle so we can go over that. But before we do... What is the T, G R E A T? The T is for tackling the normal, natural, inherent, predictable, ordinary human resistance to any change. And that's where that Goldilocks principle becomes important to help manage the resistance to the change or tackle. T for tackle.
0: So that's it. Yeah, well, take a. Quick detour from the definition there and let's talk about that Goldilocks principle since you and I first began talking I have actually shared that in several coaching sessions Uh, the Goldilocks principle says if you're trying to make a change don't be overwhelmed by the large hairiness of, of the big thing you want to do Take it in smaller chunks just like Goldilocks not too big not too small but just right yep. find that just right adjustment that you can go after now today take the action in the uh in in the model there and tackle the things that are going to come from that but but do it a step at a time
1: how so, are your people receiving that way of thinking about it it's like oh good
0: yeah it uh it it really is it's one of those uh the the other phrase i use a lot it it creates aha moments it's it's the realization that that vision we've been talking about that that future state we're wanting to work toward now all of a sudden becomes achievable because you if you start breaking down the steps to get there the goldilocks sized steps you realize I can actually do this. Yeah. I can actually get there.
1: And it sort of gives them permission not to feel, you know, if if um, big important people are taking baby steps, they're not comfortable that they're not doing something bigger. But when they realize that we have, to, we have to manage that three pound blob of tissue up there, and it kind of has its way with us if we don't treat it, Properly, so when we give it too much, too fast, too big, it's going to resist. It's just going to shut down. So it's actually a really smart thing to do. It's not because we're weak; it's because we're smart, and we know right. we have to outfox the brain.
0: Yeah. Well, there's a there's an in, another interesting study that's a number of years old, and I, I use it too in a lot of my coaching it's an equation about change we all agree that when we start talking about implementing change there's a natural human resistance to change and there's uh, there are likewise a lot of studies that have attempted to capture that and prove it but one Mm -hmm. of the best rationales and explanations of that resistance and how to overcome it is an equation that says D times V times F has to be... I have be- to write
1: this down. D times V
0: times F. Okay. Yeah, and and, and real quick, the elements of that, they they all stand for something. R is the resistance to change. So you know there's going to be some, how do you overcome it? Well, you as a leader, you can look to the three elements on the other side of the equation. D is for dissatisfaction. You ask yourself, how dissatisfied am I or are my people with the status quo and and one classic example I use for that is a lot of times you go into businesses and they've got some computer system that's ancient and everybody's frustrated at the computer system you know it's it's not good it's old it doesn't work it you know blah 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 so all a leader has to do is say, we're going to go get a new system, and everybody goes, yippee, that's great, let's do it. And they don't even know what is proposed, but the dissatisfaction is so incredibly high, they don't have any resistance to change. They'll be happy to do it. So you look at the dissatisfaction factor as one piece. The next one, V, is the vision, and so it it comes into part of your uh G and R are part of your equation, you know, getting grounded and realizing there is some opportunity out there. Mm-hmm. So casting that vision is so critically important to convince yourself you can do change or convince those around you that they can do change. But a lot of times leaders stop there. They work real hard on telling the story and having these town hall meetings and yeah. banging the drums and waving the pom-poms. And everybody gets excited for the moment, but they go back and they start thinking about it and they go, I don't know how we're going to do that. And it's it's just like your A and T part taking action and, and tackling the other things. Uh, so that's where the F factor comes in, in my equation, and F is for first steps. So leaders have to tell themselves and they have to tell those around them they have to explain the first steps and that's where i love the goldilocks part yes think of it as not too big not too small just right map out the first steps and you don't even necessarily have to define every step in the plan to affect the change But you kind of clear the way forward and you get people start thinking about the possibilities and realizing, yeah, we can do this. We can get there.
1: Well, I'm thinking about your new technology example. I've been the victim of new technology many, many times over. And I know that the idea of it can be really inspiring. Like the brain loves novelty. The fact that it's going to be a shiny new thing. But then when it arrives and people have no idea how to work it, and there are all kinds of bugs, and then they have to take training. And so okay. that's so that's the part that really needs to be broken down, right? Chunked? Right. Because right. that was, I, I'm actually feeling the overwhelm right now <laughs> as I'm talking. One time somebody gave me, this was in the cardiac cath lab, An oxygen monitor and he said figure out how to work this and i looked at the manual and i said this is in danish i can't read this he said i don't really care just figure out how to work it
0: that's great leadership yeah
1: guess what i figured it out i just started um What's the words we would use for like feedback loop and all of that? I just started turning knobs and watching what happened. It was like, oh my God, I figured this out just because I had to. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Or I felt like I, had, I suppose I could have quit right. or something.
0: Yeah. It was
1: the strangest thing. It was so long ago. And it's like, it's like it was, I can still see the equipment.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: oh, <laughs> what am I going to do with
0: this? People definitely have those experiences, and you know, I think it's important um, that that those we work with that are responsible for teams at work that that they realize they may be way ahead. Maybe the doctor could actually read Danish. I don't know, but you know, he didn't he didn't want to do that part. He wanted to give it to you to work on. So. Um, uh, but as you did there, you, you started taking the, the goalie-like steps saying, well, what if I did this? What if I did that? Let's see what it does. And boom, pretty soon.
1: As we're talking about this, which I haven't
0: for a while, I'm wondering
1: if he just wanted to keep me busy and never expected me really to
0: actually figure <laughs> it
1: out, just to keep her quiet, you know, because I was kind of mouthy as we discussed.
0: So. Right, right. So, uh, back to the book again, then. Uh, first, let me ask, what's the best way for people to get the book if they're interested in it? It's called... So, it
1: the book is on Amazon. Okay. I want to tell your readers, I tried to make it like something for everyone. So, the first chapter actually has... You could see I like to tell little anecdotes. So, always has an anecdote about my personal life that uh, I intended and hope is uh, germane to the topic of the chapter. And also at the end of every chapter, there's an exercise that people can use to practice retraining the brain to be better at whatever the chapter is about. So there's a chapter on time, there's a chapter on money, there's a chapter on other people. There's a chapter on figuring out who we are and all of those have exercises. So that's on Amazon as Getting to Great, a five-step strategy for work and life. Also at my website, um, I always want to mention that there are complimentary exercises there also. And if there's a box that says complimentary mind management exercises. Power breathing is my fave because I really think it is powerful and all of my clients learn it and use it. It's a 30-second mindset reset, kicks it right upstairs to the executive brain so that you're not making decisions from the reptilian brain, which is not really smart enough to be making that kinds of decisions that are sometimes made from that part of the brain. So, if someone grabs one of those exercises or joins the mailing list, I um, blog post weekly from there, and then those would be delivered to um, the participant by uh, email, and they're on these work-life everyday issues. So in fact. I just posted one this morning on Mark Twain and the electric fish with this wonderful (laughs) communication tip that I didn't know about. I always try to post on something that I want to learn more about rather than something I already think I know. Um, Because I like to um, sort of... I think of myself as an instrument on behalf of the people who retain me. So I try to keep myself as uh, clear and um, informed on your behalf, all of you, as I possibly can. That's my MO.
0: That's great. madeline thank you our time's about wrapped up here Uh, it's been a pleasure talking and uh there will be links on the on the screen here on how to get a hold of her um just sidebar for those of you that are wondering uh madeline and i actually met through linkedin uh she's in the washington dc area i of course am in the houston area and um we have, have met through LinkedIn and we enjoyed kind of a pen pal sort of relationship for a while and have done some uh, uh, discussions together offline. So, Madeline, thank you for being here.
1: My pleasure. And thank you, Doug. And thank you, everybody, for your kind attention.
0: And that's a wrap for today. We will see you again soon. Have a great day. This has been Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. For more information, visit us on the web at dougthorpe.com.